0: Good morning everybody. How you doing? Glad to be here today. Amen. Amen. Me too. Me too. Hey, just before we dive into it today, uh, just a reminder that Holly Jolly is our kind of uh, first Christmas outreach. It's on December the 1st. A great opportunity for you to bring your young kiddos. If you've got young kids, it's perfect for them. They'll have a blast. Also a great thing to bring somebody too. So if you've got young kiddos in your house or uh, you got grandkiddos in your house, uh, come to Holly Jolly, bring somebody with you. It's a great opportunity to. To kick off uh, your Christmas season, okay? Uh, just last summer, uh, Liz and I went to uh, New York City. Uh, we were just visiting and kind of doing the old, uh, uh, you know, uh, touristy kind of stuff, and we visited St. Paul's Chapel. St. Paul's Chapel is a very historic building. Uh, after George Washington was inaugurated as president, he walked and prayed at St. Paul's Chapel. Uh, also, uh, at 9/11, St. Paul's Chapel became really ground zero to care for the first responders. So, St. Paul's Chapel has got a lot of a lot of history wrapped around it. But one of the things I loved about it was it has a very old cemetery in the back of the church. In fact, there's a picture of it. Many of these headstones date back to the 1700s, a Revolutionary War. I mean, it's it's a really old. Um, a cemetery, And as I was walking through, just kind of looking at the dates and kind of just reading about the people, I came across this one tombstone that I had to take a picture of it. So there's a picture of it. And it, at the beginning, it talks about the guy, James Davis, and a little bit about him. And, and then it, it has this inscription at the very bottom. It's really faded. But this is what it says. Behold and see as you pass by, as you are now, so once was I. As I am now, you soon will be. Prepare for death and follow me. Isn't that a little creepy? Doesn't that sound a little creepy? I mean, I read that, I'm like, I'm like ooh, that just, that just sounded so weird. Nobody believed me, so I took a picture of it. Uh, to, I'm just like, wow, that's, just, that's not going to be on a Hallmark card anytime soon, all right? Maybe a Halloween card, not a Hallmark card. Uh, but it just reminded me of how it, the, the present reality of death, is, is, is reflected on that tombstone. And you know, we feel like many times in, in our sophisticated world that we, we kind of hedge our bets, right? We, we have all this uh, that we've set up to protect ourselves, but we cannot ultimately protect ourselves from death. Death is, is coming. It is going to happen. And we see our own vulnerability, even, even as of late, when you looked at the forest fires in California, And you saw all the blazes happening there and over now 70 people that have died as a result of that. It's just tragic. And then just a month before that, you had Hurricane Michael that came through and wiped out a big part of the panhandle of Florida. And you had many people that died in that. It just reminds us again of how vulnerable we are and how real death is. Uh, A couple of weeks ago, we had a guest speaker at our staff His name is Dr. Barry Creamer. Dr. Barry Creamer is the president of Criswell College. And he was speaking on trends in our culture that we need to be aware of. And one of the things he said that I I won't forget is he said, underneath our culture is an existential point of view or worldview, which simply means that you create and you control your own destiny. That is what you do. You create who you are and you control who you are in your own destiny. And he said, so this is reflected in music, it's reflected in movies, it's reflected in a lot of the things that are happening in our world today. But he said the existentialist eventually hits what he calls a brick wall. And that brick wall is a brick wall of death. You cannot create or control your own death. And he said every, every existential movie or book or poem ends up uh, reflecting somehow on death. Um, and, and it's true. We, our culture does see death as the final enemy, the great brick wall that we cannot surpass or overcome. But I want you to know that Christians have a different view of death. Christians believe that we have hope, and that hope actually goes beyond the grave, beyond the, the gravestone, beyond the tombstone. We have a, we have a hope that Jesus Christ is coming again. Isn't that great? Now, I'm going to say that one more time, and this is when all the Christians get to go unhinged, all right? All right, so get ready, Christians. You ready for that? Uh, We have this hope that goes beyond the grave, and that is a rock solid hope that Jesus Christ is coming again. Okay, unhinged a little bit more. Ready? One, two, three. All right, there we go. I'm trying to prime the pump here, all right? Hopefully by the end of the talk, you'll even be more fired up, all right? Uh, but this is what the Bible calls our great hope or our blessed hope. Uh, in fact, uh, that's why I want you to open up your Bibles to First Thessalonians chapter 4, because First Thessalonians chapter 4 talks about the hope that we have that goes beyond the grave, and that is a hope that Jesus Christ is coming again. The Apostle Paul is writing this letter to the church that is in Thessalonica, and he's, he's speaking about the second coming of Jesus Christ. So let's look at it with us. First Thessalonians chapter 4, beginning at verse 13. This is the Word of God. He said, but we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by the word of the Lord from, uh, uh, declare to you by a word from the Lord that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. Now just stop right there for just a minute. Three times he mentions the phrase, fall asleep. 1 in verse 13, 14, and 15. Now, when he's talking about that, he's not talking about falling asleep. He's talking about death. It is a euphemism for death. Uh, many, he's not teaching soul sleep. Some people think that when you, when you die, your soul just kind of just sleeps there in the ground or wherever you die, and then eventually your soul comes back to life. He's not talking about that. The Bible clearly teaches that in the minute that you die, you are in the presence of God, but your body may be like it's sleeping. Your body lays in the ground and your body will be resurrected. So it is a euphemism for death. It was used multiple times in the Old Testament and even Jesus used it. When Jesus was talking about his good friend Lazarus that had died, He said, Lazarus has fallen asleep, and I'm going to wake him up. So this idea of falling asleep, he's talking about people that have died. Now, here's the problem. They were saying, Paul, you've been teaching us about the coming of Jesus Christ, and we are fired up about Jesus' coming. But all of a sudden now, we're excited about Jesus coming, and then our beloved ones die, and they haven't seen Christ coming. So what's gonna happen to them? Are they gonna miss out on the coming of Jesus or somehow we have a better position than they do? Well, what's gonna happen to our beloved ones who have died and yet Christ has not come back? And so that's why he's writing this. And he said, listen, just as sure as Jesus rose from the dead that he is going to raise your beloved ones from the grave. In fact, he said, we're not gonna precede those who fall asleep. We we actually, they're gonna get a front row seat To the second coming of Jesus Christ. So it's a real encouraging pastoral message that He's giving uh, to them. I want you also underline in verse 15 the phrase the coming of the Lord. The coming of the Lord. The Greek word there is parousia, uh, which literally means appearing or the coming. In the secular language of Paul's day, it was often used of the coming of a king or a high-ranking official or maybe an emperor. When they when the king would be visiting their town, they would say the her- 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 herald would run ahead and they would say, "He's coming." The coming is about to happen. And they would get everybody there and they would be ready for the coming or the appearing of the King. So this is the term that Paul uses, not just here, but in other places in the Bible to, to refer to the second coming of Jesus Christ, the appearing, the coming of the Lord Jesus. In fact, uh, I love what he says in uh, Titus chapter two, verse 13. He says, we are waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So he's talking about the coming of the Lord. Listen, our hope is that Jesus Christ is coming again. Your hope is that Jesus Christ is coming again. Christians are the most hopeful people on the planet because our hope doesn't stop with the tombstone. Our hope, uh, hope stretches all the way to Jesus Christ coming again. So you say, well, Craig, what is it going to be like when Jesus returns? You know, uh, I think we should preach more on the second coming of Jesus. I think we should hear more about that. You know, almost every, back in the day, almost every hymn, the last stanza always had to be about heaven, right? Or about the coming of Jesus. And I think we've kind of lost some of that today. We need to rekindle our hope in the coming of Jesus. And so what is that day going to be like? Well, that's what he talks about in these next verses. So look with me in verse 16. He said, for the Lord himself would descend from heaven with a cry of command. With the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet, the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. And therefore, encourage one another with. These words. All right, so what is that day gonna be like? Let me give you a couple things to write down. Here's the first thing to write down that uh, his coming will happen physically. His coming will happen physically. And notice what it says here in verse 13 the Lord himself will descend from heaven. Jesus is going to come to the earth himself. This is what the Bible teaches. He's not going to send an angel to come to the earth. He's not going to send a third party. Hey, somebody else, Jesus is going to stand up one day and say, I'm going to take care of this myself, all right? And he is going to come physically himself to the earth. You say, you're talking about, yeah, physical appearance of Jesus on the earth. Now, you say, well, what is he going to do? Well, look at it. He's going to descend from heaven, he is going to physically descend from heaven uh, to the earth. Now that's exactly how Jesus ascended up into heaven. If you recall when Jesus, after his resurrection, he appeared over 40 days in multiple times to different people, sometimes as many as 500 people at once, showing himself that he was alive and risen from the dead. But then he gathered with his disciples and then after speaking to them, he ascended up into heaven. He just went, whoop, you know, he just ascended. I like that little that little noise there. That was that was just for you. Uh, he ascended up into heaven. And I just picture it. There goes Jesus. And then he kind of disappear, disappears up into the clouds. And so they're they're standing there, kind of squinting, looking as far as they can see. Where did he go? And then the Bible says that two men dressed in white appeared to them. And this is what they said. This is out of Acts uh, chapter one, verse 11. Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. So if he physically ascended into heaven, then he is physically going to descend in the same way, in the same manner that Jesus Christ is going to descend into heaven. I remember when I was in college, that I was reading and studying the scripture and studying about the coming of Jesus and hearing some great preachers preach on it. And I, uh, I this will date me now. I have my Walkman in. Are y'all with me? Somebody say amen. And, uh, and I was walking across campus. And I remember I had a long way to walk, I had to park far away. And, so I, and it would be a beautiful day and maybe a few clouds in the sky. And I remember just looking up and saying, Lord Jesus, man, wouldn't it be awesome for you to come down right now I prayed that particularly right before exams, right? Lord, even now, come. You know, hey, Maranatha, come, Lord Jesus. And, uh, but it was this anticipation that he's going to come in the clouds. That's what the Bible said. He's going to come physically to the earth. Did you know that that is an, actually an Old Testament prophecy? In the Old Testament, written 500 plus years before the birth of Jesus, the prophet Daniel said that when Christ comes again, he will come in the clouds. In Daniel chapter 7, verse 13, it says, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven there came one like the Son of Man. And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not pass be destroyed. Isn't that great? Hey, Christ is coming. Our great hope is that Jesus Christ is coming again, and he's going to come physically himself to the earth. The second thing that this passage says is that his coming will be visible. He's going to come visibly to the earth. People are going to notice it. Look at verse 16. He said, with a cry of command, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet, the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Everyone is going to see and everyone is going to notice when Jesus Christ shows up. When Christ shows up in the neighborhood, you're going to know, all right? You're not going to have to, want, you're, no one's going to have to let you know what's happening. You're going to know it when he comes. He mentions four things that will happen at the return of Jesus. First one, he says, there's going to be a loud command or some versions say a shout of okay. What does your version say? A shout of command, a loud command. You see that in verse 16? Uh, that, that is going to be, uh, many scholars believe that that is actually Christ shouting. I, I love that picture, by the way. The Lion of Judah roaring, right? Christ in command, shouting. I don't know what he's going to shout. Maybe he's going to say, let's go, you know, or let's roll, or it's coming, or whatever it is. I don't care what it is. I'm fired up about it, all right? Jesus Christ is going to shout, kind of a brave heart kind of moment. And here he comes. He's coming, King of Kings, all right? A loud command. Then it says you're going to hear the voice of the archangel. Now, an archangel is an angel over multitude of angels, an archangel, a head angel, a chief angel. Now, we are only told in the Bible that Of one name, one by name. There, there's implications that there may be many, but that there's only one by name that we know of, and that is Michael, the archangel. All right. So we know that there will be a shout of the archangel as he gathers his troops to ready to swoop down, and then it says that there will be a trumpet, right? A loud trumpet blast that will sound the alarm. Uh, the trumpets were used in the uh, Old Testament time and even still up to the Civil War. Trumpets were blown to marshal the troops into battle. Trumpets were, were, were a call, a clarion call for action, all right? I'm sorry, if you play a clarinet, he's not going to play a clarinet, all right? I, I play trombone in middle school. It's not going to be a trombone. It's going to be a trumpet and a shout and a loud command, all right? Everybody's going to see that. Everybody's going to hear that. And then it says, when that happens, when he descends physically, the skies part, the shout, the trumpet, the command, it says, then the dead in Christ will rise first. Well, who is that? These are the people that have died in the Lord, people that are believers in Jesus Christ, who did not get to see the coming of the Lord Jesus, that their bodies will be resurrected first Uh, When they hear that command, when they hear that shout, their bodies are going to be raised from the dead. Now, people will say, well, Craig, how's that going to happen if I'm cremated? Or how's that going to happen? I don't know. Uh, That's a great question. Uh, We'll figure that out when we get there, all right? But I do know this, that the dead in Christ will rise first, that they'll rise and they'll, they'll hear the shout of Jesus Christ. Isn't that an amazing thing? You know, Jesus talked about this uh, one day his disciples were asking, what's going to happen when you come again? What's that day going to be like? And I'm going to read you what Jesus said. Now I want you, based on what you just heard, see if what you just read in First Thessalonians 4, see if it matches what Jesus said in Matthew 24. He said, then will appear in the heaven the sign of the Son of Man. And then all the tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And He will send His angels with a a loud trumpet call and they will gather the elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. Listen, folks, this is going to be a visible thing. You're you're going to notice it when Jesus Christ comes again. Revelation 1-7 says, behold, He is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him. You know, the Jehovah's Witness teach that uh, Jesus Christ came to the earth in 1914. Uh, He came to the earth, but uh, it was an invisible coming, that nobody noticed it coming. I don't read in this Bible about any such thing. Uh, In 1977, there was someone who claimed that Jesus came to the earth because his likeness appeared on a tortilla go look it up. All right? I'm not making this stuff up, people. And uh, they go, oh, Christ has come. All right, he's not coming on a tortilla, people. Just write that down. He's not coming. Now listen, if he shows up, they may throw tortillas in Lubbock, but he's not coming on a tortilla, all right? Uh, Some people go, oh, well, yeah, he's coming because I can see this cloud formation that kind of looks like you. No, no, he's not coming as a cloud. He's coming through the clouds. He's coming physically. He's coming visibly. Our great hope is that Jesus Christ is coming again. Amen? Amen. He's coming again. Anybody fired up anymore yet uh, over his coming? All right, there you go. Thank you very much. This is an interactive service here. One more thing. Let me give you one more thing. Can you handle one more thing? Can you handle it? All right, here we go. Let me give one more. His His coming will happen gloriously, gloriously. Look at verse 17. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Paul envisioned that that when Christ comes, there are going to be Christians on the earth, they're gonna be Christians that are gonna see the, the, the coming of Jesus and they're gonna hear the shout and hear the truck. Man, wouldn't it be great if it was our generation? Wouldn't that be awesome? If we were the one of those that were here when the, when the coming of the Lord happened. He, he said, We who are still alive, we will be caught up. I mean, Paul anticipated it would be in his lifetime. He lived with this anticipation of his, in his lifetime, Christ could come. But there are going to be Christians on the earth, and what's going to happen? When they hear that shout, and they see that, uh, him coming, and they hear the trumpet call, and they see the resurrection of those who have gone in Christ, then he said, we will be snatched up, literally called up, snatched up, caught up uh, to meet the Lord in the air. We will be together with them, he says, in the air. Now listen, this is our great hope. This is a great reunion, These people that had loved ones that have died in Christ, but they're saying, well, what's going to happen when he comes? Are they going to miss out? He goes, no, no, no. They're going to rise first. We're going to be caught up to meet them, and there's going to be this great reunion in the air, and we will always be with them. See, this is our great hope, that those who die in the Lord do not die without hope. They, they, they lay there to rest. Their spirit is with Christ and they will be resurrected and we will be with them again. This is a hope that we have of that great reunion. And listen, if you are one of those that gets to be here when Christ comes again, I hope that we are, then it says that we will also be changed. We'll be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. Look at what it says in 1 Corinthians 15 verse 51. He says, behold, I tell you a mystery. I love that. You go, man, this is is like a mystery, man. We don't really fully understand it all, but this is what's gonna happen. He said, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. That is, we won't all die. But we shall be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. Get it? Trumpet, shout, dead in Christ risen, then we will be changed. We will be caught up to meet him in the air. You say, well, what will our bodies be like? I mean, obviously this body doesn't fly, right? You draw me, throw me up to 30,000 feet and let me go. I'm coming down like a rock, right? I'm not going to be caught. How is that going to happen exactly? Well, we're going to be changed. We're going to have a, a new body. We're going to shed this old body. Anybody say amen to that? Amen. This old tent. We're going to shed this thing. And we're going to get a new body. Forget the rotator cuff surgeries and the knee replacements. Forget the cancer treatments and all the kind of medications we have to have just to keep us going. Forget all that. We're going to get a new resurrected body in a moment, in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye. Look at what he says in 1 Corinthians Chapter 15, verse 53. He said, For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. And when the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass a saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? In other words, he's saying, man, we, we see death as the brick wall, but he said, death has got nothing on you because one day you're going to be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. One day you're going to be changed. You're going to have a new body. You're going to live forever with him. We have a solid hope that Jesus Christ is coming again. death We're not afraid of death. Christians for, for a Christian, death is promotion. Death goes right into the presence of God. And then one day we get a new body resurrected. What in the world are we afraid of, right? We, we have a hope that goes beyond the grave. And he says, and there you will be with the Lord forever. You will always be with the Lord. In that moment, everything changes. Every reality changes. There's no more sickness, no more separation, no more sorrow no more grieving, no more death, no more suppression of wickedness and evil in this world. We will be free of it all. We will shed it all, and we will be with Jesus. We'll be with him forever. Listen, I really believe that Jesus longs for this day. I believe that he is ready, and he is anxious, and he longs for this day. Why? Because in John 14, Jesus said, you know, I've quoted this several times. Jesus told his disciples, he said, um, do not let your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house, there are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I'm gonna come back and I'm gonna gonna take you to myself so that where I am, you can be also. There's this longing in the heart of Jesus to go get his kids, to bring them home. Yeah, I was thinking about that this week as we come up on Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. I have a new appreciation for this now that I'm an empty nester, all right? I think at every stage of life, you get new uh, insight into the heart of God as our parenting changes, right? And so here's here's one of the new things. You know, when uh, it comes around Thanksgiving time, uh, my wife gets really happy and excited, right? She gets excited. She says, okay, we got to clean the house. Craig, you sweep and mop, all right? That's my job. I'm a floor guy. So I, that's my job. I can't, do, I can't do laundry, but I can do that, all right? So I, I, I'm sweeping and mopping and we're cleaning bathrooms and we're changing sheets and then she gets in the kitchen and then she puts on her apron and then she goes to cooking and preparing and baking and doing all the things she does. Why is she so excited? Because she knows in just a little while, her kids are coming home and, and we're gonna gather around the table and we're gonna share together. Listen, that is the same excitement that Jesus has for us. That one day he's getting things ready. He's getting it ready. He's preparing it. And one day when the father says, it's go time, Christ will shout and the, and the armies of heaven will descend. The sky will part. The trumpet will blast. The dead in Christ will rise. We will be changed. We'll be caught up to forever be with him. In the Lord. See, this is our great hope. Christians are the most hopeful people on the planet because our hope is in Jesus. And listen, folks, that hope cannot be taken away from you. I don't care what happens in your life, no one can take away your hope. I don't care how dismal your future may look, how awful the doctors say your outcome is. I don't care how bad the markets turn or how awful your job is or how rocky your marriage is. I don't care if if death comes knocking at your door. And some of you even now are walking through the valley of the shadow of death. Hey, let me just remind you, we have a great hope that Jesus Christ is coming again. And when he comes, he's going to right every wrong and he's going to take his kids home with him. Isn't that great? That is the hope that we have as followers of Jesus Christ. Amen. And so I love, what, uh, I love what Paul says here uh, at the very end. Look at verse 18. He says, therefore, based on all that I've just said, because of this great hope that Jesus is coming again, he said, therefore, encourage one another with these words. That word encourage is the, the word parakaleo. It's used of the Holy Spirit. It means to literally come alongside. Put your arm around somebody. He said, in light of the coming of Jesus, you need to put your arms around some folks and encourage them with it. So how do you encourage people or what would that look like? So this is where it gets to action for you. I wanna challenge you to encourage one another with these words, with the, the reality that Jesus is coming again. You say, well, what does that look like? Well, one is you can encourage, you can encourage those who are grieving. You see, as we get to Thanksgiving and to Christmas to come, It's a hard time for those that are grieving. There's going to be a spot at the table that's not filled. And for some of you, this will be your first Thanksgiving without your husband or your wife or a son or a daughter or without a grandfather or grandmother or an aunt or an uncle. And when we're grieving and we're hurting, what we need is somebody to put their arms around us and remind us that there's a reunion coming. Yeah, it, it's, there's an empty spot now, but it won't be that way forever. One day we will be with that loved one again and we will share a meal again and we'll have all of eternity to spend. This moment is just, it's just a moment and then we'll be with them forever in heaven. So maybe you know somebody that you just need to put your arm around and encourage them. Hey, Christ is coming. Remember, look forward to that day. Another thing you can do is put your arm around someone that's hurting, someone that feels like, man, things are difficult, things are hard. No matter how hard things are, we need to always look beyond the horizon to the coming of Jesus. I mean, it's so much better to say, well, I hope things will work out, or maybe you'll get it, or pull yourself together. That's not as encouraging as, hey, no matter how bad it is, Jesus is coming back. Jesus is coming back. Set your eyes up on him. He's coming back. You can also encourage someone that is kind of stalled out spiritually. Sometimes we go through ebbs and flows in our Christian life and maybe they used to be hot-hearted for God, but they're not doing anything now. Or they haven't shared their faith in a long time. You can put your arm around them and say, hey, we need to get busy serving God. You know, enough with this, you know, well, I got this here and that there. Forget all that. When, when Christ comes back, all that's gonna go away. We need to be about the things that are urgent for the kingdom, the things that matter for eternity. Listen, that's one of my challenges to you. Hey, we need to never let the grass grow under our feet. You know what I'm saying? We need to be fast at the things of God because Jesus Christ is coming again. And we need to do what we must do now and do it quickly while we have time. But there are some that you need to put your arm around and that's because they don't know Christ and never given their life to Christ. And they don't have hope that goes beyond the grave. Their story, as far as their mind goes, ends at the grave. They don't have hope. Listen, the Bible says, without Jesus, you are without hope and without God in the world. Without Jesus, there is no hope beyond the grave other than the terrible expectation of judgment. But it doesn't have to be that way. You can have the hope that your name is written in heaven. And that is now is the time of salvation. Now is the time to say, Lord, I need you. Now's the time to ask him to forgive you and lead you. And maybe that's you. Maybe right here, right now, God brought you to this church service to hear this message, to have this opportunity to say yes to him.